Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Test, test. Kind of tough. All right, can I please have everybody's attention? So I would like to welcome everyone to the uh, Sock Park presentation today. I'm um, just going to go over a little bit of the ground rules before we start. Um, if you have your cell phone on, please turn it off and or on vibrate. Um, the ladies and gentlemen's room is just out here through the door for the anyone who is new to here. Um, my name is Michelle Day, and I will be the moderator for this presentation this afternoon. And I just want to give everyone a friendly reminder that this presentation is going to be recorded. So, best behavior. No, I'm just teasing. Um, I'd like to remind everyone that lunch is being provided today for $11, and there's a basket on everybody's table if they would just like to put their $11 in the basket, and we will collect it um, before lunch. So SACPA is a volunteer nonprofit organization and incredibly it is in its 48th season and contribution members and session attendees help cover all of the expenses. So memberships can be purchased and renewed from SACPA's administrative manager and that's Annalise here in this plaid and there is some SACPA uh, brochures on the table so please do help yourself. Um, we want to thank the partners, um, U of L support for their distribution and end of notices, Country Kitchen Catering for their great lunches, Shaw TV Channel 9 for broadcasting sessions several times weekly, including nightly at 7 p.m., um, CKXU 88.3 FM Radio Live and Lethbridge Herald, as well as any other media covering the SACPA events and presentations. Outline, um, so the presentation is going to be about 30 minutes long. Then we're going to break for lunch and come back, and there will be a question period um, at around 1 p.m. And so with that, um, I would like to introduce our topic and our presenter. So today's topic, Canada's new prostitution bill. Will it stand up in court? Um, today we have speaking Wade Halati. He is an associate from the Lethbridge Law Firm, Conley & Associates. He was born and raised two hours from Lethbridge in the town of Maple Creek, Saskatchewan. He attended the University of Saskatchewan, the Saskatoon campus, where he received a degree in English. Wade then got into, on to complete his law degree, where in addition to his studies, he produced a variety show, The League of Foley's, which law students showcase their talents in order to raise money for local charities. Wade is engaged in the general law practice and has lectured at the University of Lethbridge on constitutional law issues. So with that, I would like to introduce him. Thank you, Wade. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, 
first of all, I'd like to thank um, SACPA for having me tonight, today. I'd especially like to thank Mr. Peterson for all his patience in corresponding back and forth with me. I don't like using email very much, and so he uh, evidently found that I'm not the best person to respond to the questions. I think uh, even the biography I have is something that he was able to just piece together through his own ingenuity. Um, just one comment on that. I do uh, maintain a general practice in only the, uh, the most liberal sense of the word. My practice is um, approximately 90 to 90. Is this better? Yes. All right. Um, so once again, thank you to Mr. Peterson for uh, wrangling the cats that is my uh, my day-to-day -day life. And uh, secondly, with regards to the introduction, um, my practice, although it is general in the sense that anyone who comes in the door is, uh, I'll listen to them and I'll attempt to help them as best as I can. Uh, 90 to 95 percent of what I practice is criminal law and criminal defense. So I'm coming to it from a, from a perspective of uh, dealing with this, uh, or at least these issues, on a somewhat regular basis. Um, as, as lawyers are wont to do, I'd like to start off with a disclaimer. Uh, this session is for educational purposes only. Uh, law is very fact-specific, so I don't want you to uh, take what you learn over this next hour and a bit and uh, rely wholeheartedly on it for advice. If you listen to me and afterwards think, well, looks like I should be getting in on this prostitution thing, <laughs> that's on you. And... Uh, I won't be held responsible. This isn't legal advice. This is legal awareness. Um, and just continuing that line of thinking, I'd like to suppose disclose my uh, intentions and my bona fides with regards to this. Um, I began sp speaking on this subject not because I'm, you know, some hillbilly from Saskatchewan who's looking to uh, pound the Bible, uh, nor am I some pinko commie uh, legal defense attorney who's uh, thinking all laws are illegal and immoral. Um, essentially, I came to Lethbridge as a stranger and was looking to maintain some sort of legal education. So I emailed the University of Lethbridge and uh, spoke to them about two topics that uh, were up in the news recently, um, assisted, physician-assisted suicide and uh, prostitution. And the Department of Women's and Gender Studies emailed me back, so I started speaking on prostitution. And since then, I've been invited back to the University of Lethbridge, as well as I've been able to speak on the radio show Those Feminists on uh, CKXU. So shout out to the listeners from uh, Those Feminists. Um, getting to the actual uh, history of this, I'd like to start off by saying that I used to have a really nice hook for this talk. It used to be that um, I could kind of draw people in by saying that uh, prostitution was never illegal in Canada. Uh, everything surrounding prostitution was illegal, but the actual uh, sale of sexual services for, for valuable consideration was, uh, was permissive in Canada at the time. Now, this has all been turned on its head by Bill C-36, and it's uh, for those reasons that we'll get into the topic. But I do want to do some background with regards to the laws regarding prostitution. And I won't go back all the way to the 50s or whenever, uh, or even longer in terms of how long ago or how long prostitution has been around. But I would like to go back to the 1990s in which uh, the Charter is still a new and unexplored um, piece of legislation, and many pieces of uh, criminal law are coming before the courts for the first time. Um, and if you'll just pardon me, hopefully this will work. 
Oh, that's not mine. Okay, um, I'm going to attempt to go forward. Uh, basically, the reason for the PowerPoint is just to um, have you view the text of what I'm going to be quoting. So if, the com if someone can uh, help me get rid of this warning sign, that would be helpful. But in the meantime, I'd like to continue because we're a bit tight on time for what I want to uh, attempt to accomplish today. Um, first of all, the most common and I think the easiest to understand law regarding prostitution is the uh, ban on solicitation. In that section, what was then 213 of the criminal code indicates that every person who in a public place or in any place open to public view, A, stops or attempts to stop any motor vehicle, B, impedes the free flow of pedestrian or vehicle traffic or ingress to or egress from premises adjacent to that place, or C, stops or attempts to stop any person in any manner uh, or in any manner communicates or attempts to communicate with any person for the purposes of engaging in prostitution or of obtaining sexual services of a prostitute is guilty of an offense. So basically, um, the, the most wide-ranging part of that is any person who stops or attempts to stop or in any manner communicates or attempts to communicate with any person with regards to prostitution is guilty of an offense. So that's basically um, what you may have in your idea of what, the, or what the at least um, movies have kind of always described as a um, prostitution. You're looking at situations where the person standing on the street corner stops, uh, uh, stops the car, and uh, propositions the uh, the person on the sideline, um, and that's all been. Oh, thank you. I remember the password. So that basically, the solicitation, and it'll pop up on the uh, pop up on the screen shortly. I hope. 
basically criminalizes the behavior that everyone associates with prostitution and everything surrounding just the basic transaction between two parties. Uh, the second provision is uh, the provision on body houses, also known as brothels or whorehouses or houses of ill repute. Uh, there's the synonyms go on and on. And that uh, covers everyone who keeps a common body house is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term not exceeding two years. It doesn't define body houses in there. That's left up to the uh, judgment of the courts to determine that. It also criminalizes everyone who is an inmate of a common body house, is found without lawful excuse in a common body house, or as an owner, landlord, lessor, tenant, occupier, and so on, who is knowingly permitting uh, a place to be used as a body house. And there's my witty title for the presentation. So... As I indicated, that solicitation, um, basically I understand there's people pretty far in the back. I wasn't anticipating this big of a crowd, but I've read that to you in any event, and you can always check it out on the, uh, oh, yes. And check it out in any obsolete version of the criminal code. So that's body houses. The next one I'm going to talk about has uh, addressed a considerable amount of uh, literature in the coming uh, as a result of this, and it's procuring, and it's a whole lot of legislation. Um, don't worry, you don't have to read all about it, the, because I've summarized the, the part that I'm going to be talking about in this next slide, which is... Procuring 212, subsection 1, subsection J. Everyone who lives wholly or in part on the avails of prostitution of another person is guilty of an indictable offense. So we'll be turning back to all of these when we uh, look at why prostitution laws uh, were found unconstitutional and why they have been uh, rewritten, so to speak. So these were well and good until 1990, because in 1990... Uh, as I indicated, the Supreme Court of Canada was tasked with uh, taking a look at these provisions and determining whether or not they were suitable for uh, charter scrutiny. And by a 7-2 majority, the laws were found to be uh, constitutional. That's why there wasn't any um, major outbreak of prostitution in the 90s. Um, and ultimately, it was a situation where they found that it was a bit of a, it was an infringement on Section 2A, or excuse me, 2B, which is freedom of expression, but it was saved by Section 1, which was it was a reasonable infringement. Now, describing the intention of the legislation, Chief Justice at the time, Dixon, wrote, The criminal code provisions subject to attack in these proceedings clearly responds to the concerns of homeowners, businesses, and residents of urban neighborhoods. Public solicitation for the purposes of prostitution is closely associated with street congestion and noise, oral harassment of non-participants, and general detrimental effects on passers by or bystanders, especially children. In my opinion, the eradication of the nuisance-related problems caused by street solicitation is a pressing and substantial concern. I find, therefore, that sending the message that street solicitation for the purposes of prostitution is not to be tolerated constitutes a valid legislative aim. 
So in that period, he kind of summarized everything that uh, the prostitution laws were looking to avoid. Again, this is a situation where prostitution itself was legal, but it was nasty. It was unseemly. It was something that people did not want in their neighborhood nor in any neighborhood. So they wanted to have it uh, restricted as much as possible. Um, just Justice Dixon referred to it as a nuisance, and that's what it was sought as. So... The, this was not a unanimous decision. There was a dissent in it. And uh, curiously, or perhaps not so curiously, uh, the dissent consisted of the two sitting female justices at the Supreme Court, Justice Wilson and Justice LaRue Bay. Justice Wilson's dissent was less contextual than Justice Dixon's majority decision, um, basically in a major simplification of the, the brilliant legal work that both parties had done. Chief D- Justice Dixon's argument was that the communication was a nuisance, and so Parliament can pass a law restricting this nuisance. Uh, Justice Wilson, by contrast, argued that the communication itself was for a legal activity. So Parliament can't ex- essentially throw people in jail for communicating that legal ability. And uh, this is Justice Dixon's uh, quote with regards to that situation. This is from her decision. The provisions prohibits, or excuse me, the provision prohibits persons from engaging in expression that has an economic purpose. But economic choices are, in my view, for the citizen to make, provided that they are legally open to him or her, and whether the citizen is negotiating for the purpose of a Van Gogh or a sexual encounter. Section 2B of the Charter protects that person's freedom to communicate with his or her vendor. So basically, because what you're asking a person to do is legal, you should be allowed to ask it. And uh, just an illustration, somewhat of the difference between a Van Gogh and a sexual encounter. Um, It's kind of disturbing how... If you just uh, Google prostitution, it all looks like that. It's all dimly lit alleyways with uh, women standing idly, um, and that isn't so much the case as it is a, a bit of a idealized version of it. But that was essentially the version of prostitution as it remained until the Bedford decision, which is uh, what really turned this whole thing on its head. Um, it's a situation where uh, it was a nuisance, it was unseemly, let's keep it out of the public view, but... It's not, so to speak, something to be overly concerned with. Um, this changed in Bedford, or, and that says it's uh, that's its official title. So I'm just going to be referring that to that as Bedford because uh, it's too long the other way. Um, the complainants in Bedford were Terry Jean Bedford, Valerie uh, Scott, and or, me, Valerie Scott and Amy Leibowitz, and uh, those are their pictures. And I want to kind of illustrate this because they're not the typical, uh, I guess, the everyday face of prostitution. These these uh, complainants were, for the most part, more affluent. They're all older than 25, and they are all white. The majority of prostitutes in Canada are Aboriginal people, and they're not um, they're in their teens to 20s. So this was um, essentially an idealized framing of this case. But it did, however, change the tone and change the game, so to speak, from looking at it in terms of a nuisance to really focusing on what this act was and how it um, affects prostitutes on a daily basis. So let's look back at the solicitation law. Every person who in a public place or in a place open to public view 
again, attempts to communicate with a person regarding prostitution is guilty of an offense. What happened in the past was, well, this is a nuisance. We don't have to, uh, we don't have, to have that on our streets. What Bedford did is it actually focused on the plight of the prostitutes involved in that situation, and it saw how this law actually present, presents a safety risk to them. Um, quite uh, in, in the most egregious case, this is a situation where people who are street prostitutes, that's the people in most need of protection, lose a valuable tool in ensuring their safety. Um, it's known as screening, and basically it allows prostitutes bef- before making a decision in terms of whether or not they are going to engage in an activity that was that is legal allows them to question the uh, the, pro- the prospective John about safety concerns, whether or not protection will be used, uh, where they're going to be going, negotiating prices ahead of time, all without having to get into a compromising situation, either in a person's vehicle or perhaps in a in a um, secluded location. So this. Uh, by restricting a prostitute's ability to actually go out and uh, and make these preliminary inquiries, they're essentially bringing themselves away from any sort of safety uh, situation. And it was struck down as being a risk to the Section 7 argument, which is a security of person. So Section 7 concerns with the right of a person to life, liberty, and security of person and not to be deprived thereof, and except in accordance with fundamental, not justice. Before, in the prostitution reference, they considered expression and they considered liberty. If you're throwing people in jail, your liberty risk is engaged. But we're talking about situations where jail isn't even a part of it. We're talking about people who are putting their lives, or uh, we're talking about a law that puts people's lives at risk. And so in Bedford, they found that the breach of solicitation was not. Uh, was not in accordance with the charter as it was a breach of a person's security of person argument. Procuring. You can see that everyone is guilty of an offense if they live wholly or part off the veils of prostitution of another person. Well, this includes a lot of people who may otherwise have legal relationships with prostitutes. That would include accountants or security guards or receptionists or anything like that, all people who can do take part in screening activities and people who take part in any type of uh, um, management to make the prostitute's life uh, safer and more secure. Um, without the without uh, allowing procuring to exist, it really becomes uh, the p- anti-pimping legislation. And there are a lot of valid points to uh, Section 212, but the fact that anyone who lives wholly or partially off the avails of prostitution eliminates all but the people who really have no fear of the legal system from assisting these, uh, these uh, sex workers in applying their legal trade at that point. So basically, if you are looking to protect a prostitute and make sure that their um, work goes by uh, smoothly, then you either do it for free or you do it for in exchange for pay. And if you do it for pay, then you are uh, charged with an offense. Finally, body houses, more of the similar situation. Um, all the studies had shown that... Anyways, all the studies had shown that outcalls were or places where a prostitute would go to a location were more dangerous than in-calls, situations where the prostitute is in a location where they feel comfortable. Um, again, it's about security of person. This law was designed to uh, essentially 
you know, make nasty houses not a part of the uh, not a part of the community. But what it really did is force prostitution underground and force it to be uh, dealt with in situations that became more risky for prostitutes. So that was uh, the Supreme Court of Canada struck down all those laws and gave Parliament time to come up with something new, and they sure did. They came up with Bill. C-36, introduced by Peter McKay, um, a radical radical new piece of legislation and something that really came out of left field. I know a lot of academics when they came or when it was released uh, were really taken aback because essentially what happened was uh, instead of just going forward with um, addressing the Bedford concerns and maybe acknowledging that uh, it should be, that prostitution should be regulated uh, or moving to something like a Nordic model where um, the sale of uh, of prostitution is legalized, however, the purchase or uh, the purchase of prostitution isn't essentially charging Johns but not charging prostitutes. Uh, they came up with a wholeheartedly new approach, and it did for the first time make prostitution itself illegal in Canada. When introducing Bill C-36, Peter McKay indicated that let us be clear about Bill C-36's ultimate objective, that is to reduce the demand for prostitution with a view towards discouraging entry into it, deterring participation in it, and ultimately abolishing it to the greatest extent possible. So, um, it really became a shift in, par- in priorities and a paradigm shift with regards to the government's treatment of prostitution and how it will be prosecuted and treated in the criminal courts in the future. The actual law itself changed as well. The new solicitation um, provisions were added with Section 1.1. It indicates everyone who is guilty of an offense punishable on summary conviction who communicates with any person for the purposes of offering or providing sexual services for consideration in a public place or in any place open to the public view that is at or next to a school ground, playground, or daycare center. So they've restricted it certain uh, a little bit. Um, again, this is not the radical shift, but it is definitely, you can see the elements of the community involvement here. Again, it's unseemly, and we don't want it near nice things. Um, and uh, you can see that in this pack that it's, again, a little bit of a considering what's to happen to the children and what will the children think of um, someone going out and plying their wares, so to speak. However, a new provision was created as well, and it included factors in with the obtaining of sexual services for consideration. And this is where I talk about the actual major sea change in Canada's treatment of prostitution. This is where uh, prostitution becomes illegal, and this is where um, essentially the rubber meets the road in terms of what we're looking at going forward. So, um, you've had an opportunity to review that a little bit. Everyone who in a place obtains for commu- consideration or communicates with anyone for the purposes of obtaining for communication or for consideration, the sexual services of a person is guilty of an indictable offense and liable for a term of imprisonment, not more than five years and a minimum punishment of, and so on and so forth. So this is a situation where prostitution became illegal as of 2014. Um, first time in Canadian history where it's happened and we're looking at uh, the ramifications of it. 
these are the exceptions, and this is where it becomes kind of a supercharged version of the uh, Nordic model. And I know this is what my whole purposes of the talk was about, so I'm going to be addressing them um, basically afterwards. Exceptions, subjects to Section 5, uh, anyone who obtains the services for the purpose of a legitimate li living arrangement, anyone who obtains the services for a legal, obli uh, excuse me, a legal or moral obligation, um, you know, you can read the laws themselves, but what we're looking at here is a situation where, where prostitution was criminalized for the first time, and it's um, going to reevaluate what exactly it means by a charter issue. Now, the charter problems with it were, in the past, putting people in jail for the purposes of a, uh, a nuisance to the street may not be a valid uh, use of police power and may not be a use of uh, the state's objectives. Putting people in jail for something that is um, now uh, considered by the Crown to, or considered by the state to be illegal is completely separate. So it's going to shift the framework regarding prostitution, regarding how it's treated. Um, it may be a more valid objective to put people in jail for this reason than the reason of um, protecting them. Secondly, prostitutes themselves are exempt from any legislation. So if, you are, if anyone is actually selling their services, they can, they're immune from prosecution. So the weakest of the weak, the situation that Bedford was looking to rectify, are protected by this legislation. The problem with it is simply um, in the Nordic model and in many other models, people who... Um, are threatened by criminality uh, will tend to push the services underground. So just because the prostitute themselves will not be charged, um, perhaps the only way that they can actually um, ply their wares is to continue to engage in illegal activity and to continue to remain out of sight from, uh, from police, not so much so for their own sake but for the sake of their clients, Ultimately, it's the same result. They're in unsafe situations, and uh, you're going to look at many of the same problems that they faced prior to the amendments to the, um, the law regarding prostitution. Um, finally, there's also... Um, I've noted that I'm a little bit short on time, so I want to talk about just this from an actual pr perspective as a defense attorney. I have never defended a prostitute for the purposes of uh, these legislations. Um, I've spoken to many other defense attorneys. None of them have as well. There's a situation here where this actually seems to be more of an ideological situation. It depends really on what you actually feel about um, a person's liberty to choose their own occupations, a person's uh, right over uh, or how you view sexuality in the open and that sort of thing. Um, but I've talked to, I've spoken to defense lawyers who've been practicing since the 70s. An actual prostitute has never been charged from, uh, as a result of these solicitation provisions in Lethbridge, as far as I can tell. So this really is um, kind of holding up a mirror to Canada and determining how we view um, people and how we look to view this type of behavior going forward. Um, in this situation, we've created a hybrid uh, situation where we criminalize the behavior, but essentially excuse the person at the center of it. Um, we're looking for an abolition of prostitution. It's definitely um, a valid view if you consider the ultimate 
purpose of prostitution to be exploitive. If you look at prostitution as a choice that's made between consenting adults, you're looking at a completely different ballgame. Um, the topic of this, ta- of this uh, presentation is looking at prostitu- this bill going forward. There's no question about it that it pro- criminalizes prostitution. There's no question about it that in the past with the Nordic model and with other models, this has forced prostitution underground. Um, what is going to determine in terms of whether the laws put before the court um, are a valid law and as such will remain upheld upon charter scrutiny is going to depend on how um, we as a nation and Canada, I suppose, as a court view a person's uh, economic rights and liberty and, more importantly, the choice in terms of what uh, what people are allowed to essentially do and i mean not every not every choice that a person does is legal people uh, uh, drug dealing is illegal so just because something is a job just because something is done for money um, doesn't automatically mean that you're allowed to uh, essentially do whatever's necessary um, i know i didn't cover everything that i'd like to talk about and um, hopefully i'll be able to address your questions and concerns at the Q&A session following, but I believe that's my time.